This is a Crib Room podcast. Bringing you industry news, views and happenings. From being a man of the land in the northern goldfields to now owning a fair chunk of the eastern side of Kalgoorlie Boulder, Raleigh Finlayson has taken enormous strides in the business and mining sector in the last 12 months. Taking on a half share in the iconic Kalgoorlie Superpit and then bringing the ownership together with joint venture partner Northern Star to become West Australian owned for the very first time. The Managing Director of Saracen Mineral Resources, Rally Finlayson, joins us here in the crib room. Jeez, I tell you what, Ral, this little area that we've got here in the Esplanade in Perth, it's a long way from your station days, isn't it, mate? This is a very different crib room. Um, yeah, well, crib room on the station days from memory was um, pretty well under a mulga tree for the most part out in the bush. So, um, you know, we'd often have the uh, sandwich wrapped up in the Kalmina and mum would give us the Kalmina to read. It would usually be about a week old, but that was fine. And a, um, a, the billy going for a cup of tea, and that was our crib room back in the day. So, yeah, obviously moved a long way up since then. It's been great. Definitely. But um, first of all, mate, your was background is very important to you. Uh, many people head to school. Their further learnings from there, that's pretty much terminated for them. But you yep. wanted to put back in yourself and uh, others who have gone through the WASM system realise how important it is. Why are you so supportive of those high studies that have got to where you are? I think initially... Um, I think if you graduate and it goes for about probably five, maybe even 10 years, we feel like you need to give back. Um, and that's where it started for me. It was very much a, an urge to give back after such a great university institution. Um, probably after about a year of giving back, I felt um, what I've become really engaged with and it's remained the same since then is seeing students come through, actually cherry picking them out of school in a lot of cases or first year engineering at Curtin and getting them through the School of Mines, seeing how they evolve seeing how their personalities evolve, seeing how they create, you know, create great friendships uh, for me and then watching them journey, their journey coming through when they get into the, into the workforce. So our first three graduates are all managers in our organisation now. So I get a huge amount around seeing these students grow up in their journey and that's why I continue to get engaged and love doing the, the really early year stuff with the, with the school now. And is it, is it a bit of a... I wouldn't call it a drug, but it becomes addictive for you to try and bring a lot of new talent through the pipeline, doesn't it? Yeah, and I think, you know, Gen Ys get a lot of flack nowadays and the, and the new generations coming through, but I think they're, they're super engaged. Obviously, their capacity and talents around technology is amazing, but as human beings, are just, they're, just, um, they're infectious, how keen they are, a lot of them. And I think being able to pick them really early, showing the right attitude for me, and look, the bit that we get at it from a Saracen perspective is obviously we can pick these kids up really early before they've even graduated, um, get them into our organisation. So we're a little bit selfish as well to make sure we get the right talent coming through and lo and behold, they end up becoming managers. So that's really the fulfilling part of it. So what's your role now with Wasm Alumni? You've sort of given up your head role, haven't you? Yeah, so I was president for a couple of years, been on the alumni for around five years. So what we're morphing towards now is sort of like an advisory council that sits with the alumni, sits with Curtin University, will be formed hopefully around October this year, um, COVID, all things being equal. Um, it's really about trying to get um, past alumni like Bill Beamont and um, Stu Donkin and the likes, Warbo back into the fold, but also bringing in, being really inclusive and bringing other industry people into the tent and just having conversations around education and what we can do and what, what our role is. So um, probably most likely make three times a year and looking forward to, to launching that later in the year. 
Our first part of our chat is going to look at Saracen as a company before we head into discuss the super pit in some further detail. After your quarterly at the end of March 31, starting to see that flow on from the super pit operations flow through as a full quarter since your purchase. How did that make you feel after taking that big measure and that big jump to take on this deal? Uh, start with relief, you know, to actually get through the quarter and um, all things being equal and pretty well exactly what we said to the market is what the what the assets delivered. Had some really good tailwinds with the gold price since we've acquired it. So a really good start is a way I'll describe it. But, um, you know, really we didn't buy the asset for one quarter. We can see this asset as a, as a multi-year, multi-decade um, project. And we've been doing heaps of work in the background, which hasn't got to the market yet, but is imminent um, around how we see this asset evolving, which is by far and away the most exciting part. You've got a big emphasis on growth for Saracen as a company and year on year you just keep on hitting different strides. How do you top taking over the richest gold mile going around? Um, we, we, may, we may not as far as an acquisition goes, but I think the assets will come out of the asset we've actually acquired. And, um, you know, we've spent a pretty heavy period of time during the DD trying to work out what the size of the prize was. But frankly, I think we only scratched the surface and I think there's some opportunities up and down the belt um, to have one of the largest gold endowments in the world in our portfolio but really with a heavy focus on the Golden Mile itself. There's 25 kilometres worth of strike there, which we think is an endowment which needs to be properly unlocked. And I think we will each year find more and more opportunities. So I think the growth will continue to come from that asset and as well as the existing portfolio. So, um, you know, we may never top, top this from an acquisition point of view. Who knows what the future holds? But I think we'll be unearthing gems out of this thing for the years to come. The strategy of future-proofing the business, how's that progressing? Because your stockpiles at Karasu Dam, they were about nine months or so, Thunderbox at about 13. Uh, you'd be going through some higher grade this quarter at those two sites though, wouldn't you? Yeah, it was interesting. So we went through that pivot point when COVID first hit and that was the beauty about future-proofing the businesses around a black swan event, like exactly like this. You don't plan for these things to happen, but when they do, you're well prepared. Um, so we're all set for that and being able to tap into those stockpiles if the you know the COVID lockdown was going to get more serious or for longer. Um, as things have evolved very well, and you know, I commend the state government and yeah, even local governments for the way they've handled it and the whole industry, CMA, how we've handled it as well. But um, as things have got uh, more positive on the, you know, we're pivoting to make sure that we don't exhaust all of our hard work on the fruit to proofing and make sure we can maintain that, if not, you know, reset it entirely or grow on it um, into the years ahead. So, we're in that sort of inflection point at the moment, so hopefully we don't um, exhaust all the hard work but also have a good platform for the for the future years. Thunderbox had a great March quarter with the record gold production. How's the recovered gold looking for this quarter? Are you expecting the same, better, different? Yep. What sort of indication can you give us? Yeah, very good question in late June there, Glenny. I um, <laughs> don't want to give you inside information there, mate, so I won't give you too much away. But, um, look, it's... Um, it's been a phenomenal asset um, for us. We've obviously um, you know, got a lot of um, uh, kudos for the acquisition we did with the Super Pit. But I think um, you know, Thunderbox, to go back a little bit, um, you know, we acquired that for $32 million in um, 2014. Um, we just delivered a quarter that delivered twice that cash flow for what we paid for it. So you know, we've had a bit of luck with the gold price along the way, but it has been an absolute gem of an asset. And um, you know, we are delivering into the C-Zone Open Pit, which we've been talking about for a number of years, and we're in the absolute sweet spot at the moment. But mm. um, this is a bit of you know reflection. You know, we've produced that asset's produced 1.4 million ounces under our ownership and um, Lionel. Before that, 
we've still got 1.4 million ounces in reserve at the moment and growing. So, you know, to think the um, you know we're past the halfway mark, I think is not quite there. There's still plenty of life left in the tank, and what we know as well as what we don't know. Advancing that C zone pit you sort of alluded to there, but D zone that's getting started. There's some pretty shallow stuff there for you, isn't there? Yeah, exactly, and it's actually closer to the plant. Um, you know, the the teams hit that pretty hard in the last couple of quarters. So I was on site a couple of weeks ago. We're down sort of 10, 15 metres already. So the guys are hitting it pretty hard. Um, and already, I suppose the next chapter of of Thunderbox is around the D zone open pit, and then we've got the the underground ramping up. So it just becomes a really good logical mine plan for the next you know, five years on those two assets. Well, that leads us into Thunderground, absolute ripper name. The development advancing pretty quick there from all your reports, and that's what you're probably pretty much saying for us just a couple of seconds ago. But yeah. obviously there's there's a little bit of work going into getting the underground ramped up. Yeah, it's actually a lot of work. I mean, we've got Burncut as our contract partner there. They've just been awarded the, the long-term contract there on top of the um, the work they do it for us at Carasadam. Um, talking to the team a couple of weeks ago, they were amazed to be able to go to a mine site Developed down eight eight levels without pulling a stope. Um, you know they never had the luxury of being able to put so much development into the mine. So there's no better setup mine probably as far as what the future looks like as opposed to um, you know usually you're developing mining stoping all at the same on the same level right at the start. So that's a massive positive for us. Um, and again, it's been dovetailing into the end of sea zone. It's a really good blend with the with the open with the open pit. Um, you know the thunderground name itself um, obviously stems from Thunderbox as the asset's name. Um, the guys on site have been having all sorts of fun with the uh, with the ACDC theme. So we've got the, the highway to hell from the um, the C zone across or A zone across to the C zone as far as the development into that asset. Of course we've got the Thunder Dome which is the um, the underground workshop on the surface. So the uh, the ACDC theme's very strong through uh, through Thunderbox at the moment. <laughs> How far are you off your developing the satellite pits, Otterbor, Wonder North? There's some been some exploration work around those two sites. Yeah, look, it's um, it's really unusual for me. I've been involved with this company for 11 years, and I can't think of a time ever where we've had you know talking about future proofing the business, but to be so far advanced in an asset being shovel ready, but yet not required for a number of years. Like these things are well drilled, they're approved, they're ready to go, and yet they sit in the queue. So they're very well advanced. Um, you know, it's all about no surprises from from an internal perspective, but also means we can go to the market and deliver those assets exactly how we. Articulate, and that's why we've gone seven years of you know meeting or exceeding guidance, which we hold very precious to us. So we want to make sure we can continue to do that. So well advanced, and that's just the beauty of having you know strong exploration budgets over the last few years, underpinning these assets. And um, again, we're not needing to mine those for at least three to four years away, but um, you know we're in very good shape to when we get there that um, they're ready to go. Down to Karasu Dam and Karari Dervish has taken on some good growth for you. Where's the exploration going on for you there? Because next quarter, September, mining set to resume, but uh, underground still seems to be where the growth is, though, for you there. Yeah, look, I mean, Karari's a really interesting story. Um, it was an open pit back in the um, Soggies days originally. Um, I remember the moment, you know, November 2014, we cut the portal on that asset. We didn't really have a mine plan. We had a couple of stoves we can pull out. It was self-funding get a drill platform in, do some drilling, um, and as I say, the rest is history. So it's a classic opposite of what we talked about at Thunderbox where we were developing the decline, driving ore drives, pulling stopes all at the same time. Um, and credit to Drew Bradshaw, our first underground manager there, and the team did a fantastic job doing that. Um, since then, the asset's only gone from strength to strength, and obviously um, you know, Dervish has been the sister deposit being added to that. So that becomes our base load. Um, the open pit restart, we haven't mined open pits there, since 2015, um, and we will have a simple one-fleet 
mining strategy. And the good part about that is we've got a mill expansion happening at the moment and the open pits will provide 10 years of mill feed um, into that expanded plant. So it becomes a really simple and logical mine plan of that asset moving forward. But that almost alludes into the next question about the, the mill expansion. I think it was 0.8 of a million tonne per annum, which you're looking at increasing the mill output from. That's just solely from, from your own operations that you're going to use. Are you going to look at toll treating later or how, what's the sort of future no, for that? No, so yeah, so solely from our own sources. So we're getting to the point where the success of the underground business evolving. Um, we're at a stage now where we're essentially filling the mill, the existing mill with our underground business. Um, the expansion is happening at the moment. So our first pit we're mining at the moment, it's million dollar, will be there for at least four years. And like I said, we've got 10 years of um, open pits order in reserve and that continues to grow. So... We'll be in a very, very good position where we ramp the mill up at the same time as we've opened, restarting open pit mining at um, Carrisa Dam, and that'll provide us, you know, as I said, um, you know, ten years of open pit feed at the expanded rate. So, um, you know, no intentions to have to pull external ore in to, to fill that mill. At Borough Discovery, it's about four kilometres away as the yeah. truck drives. Um, so that's another expansion opportunity. Yeah, and look, another another example of you know um, drilling. Close to your mines, but in you know it's, it's hard to imagine you've got a virgin discovery four kilometres away from the plant. But it just it does highlight that you know parts of the goldfields, despite perceived of being um, you know heavily drilled, aren't. And I think maybe the gold the gold mile might show examples of that in the years to come as well. So you know that's a very large um, low grade asset that sits adjacent to the plant, which um, you know obviously looks better and better in prevailing gold price. So we continue to drill that, trying to understand that system and being so close to the to the plant as you mentioned it's just another string to that bow for that asset longer term okay now we've talked a bit about the business probably where you sit now but your employees without them you can't be where you are um, probably to break it down into three main points that you would probably consider about your employees that is the impact of FIFO mental health and general health now that COVID-19 has come along as well you made some changes um, rostering changes changes on your flights and your buses and all those sorts of things just tell us a bit about the last three months for you and being a, a, a huge gold producer and having to make some of these changes yeah look it was a really you know like for everyone it was a pretty dynamic um, period I think very early on um, I think it was sort of late March in fact 26th of March rings a bell where we sat together as a CME um, industry round table and said, okay, what are we going to do to enable us to keep operating as industry through this phase? And um, some commitments put on the table around longer rostering, you know, those sorts of things. So we were the first to enact that change in WA, went to a three and three roster, so three weeks on, three weeks off immediately. Um, but we didn't just do that in order the guys to do it. As a management team, we decided to as a, on a rostering system ourselves because all of a sudden our day jobs had changed a lot and need travel had stopped. We jumped on the plane and did the same sort of rosters. So as a management team, we were able to be on the ground and engage with the team, which I think has been the biggest positive to come out of COVID for us and we're trying to find ways to make sure we can hang on to that. But what I learned in the first week, I saw I got my first sent up at Carousel Dam in the midst of that three-week um, first rostering system. And I think you mentioned mental health, but I think I went into it thinking, you know, it was pretty tough being away from your family for three weeks, but um, and it was. But I think the greater challenge um, then remains a case now was during that period of time, there was uncertainty about the time frame of doing that, which was one of the biggest issues. As it turned out, we only did one swing each of that. So if they had known that at the start, it would have been a lot easier. People were worried about their families, their grandparents, the like, about whether they were going to be safe throwing it. 
But I think the two biggest changes that we enacted, which was part of the protocols that the government put in place, was around the bar. And often people do a day's work and go back and have a beer and um, socialise and then, of course, um, mealtime and the dry mess. Constraining both of those, so at Carousel we basically gave the guys plastic containers. I remember the first meal I had was a steak going back into your room because you couldn't eat in the dining room with a plastic fork, snuff and fork and a plastic container with a steak was obviously a difficult thing to do. Not being able to go to the bar, then for those that love the gym, not being able to go to the gym, that was the probably the biggest strain on mental health coupled with everything else that was going on. So I think that first swing was the toughest for all of the people. So being on site, we could actually see that firsthand and actually living it. We're not just talking and ordering people to doing it. It's like being in general going into the into the coalface and actually experiencing yourself. So we learnt a lot of that ourselves and our people and reacted really quickly to revert back to a two-and-two two roster. Um, as we stand here right now, we've been able to relax things around the gyms, the, the mess, and to be able to get that social aspect back. So I think the very essence of, of mental health is around the notion of are you okay? And if you can't ask your buddy if you're, if you're okay, it's very difficult to to know and obviously people bottle up and that's when you get into a lot of trouble. So I think, um, you know, we learned a lot of this organisation, we learned a lot about our people, um, but I think as a, as a whole, and I'll probably be speaking about the whole industry, I think the way that the industry has tackled it from, you know, CME, state government to the individuals on the, at the coalface has been outstanding and the fact that, um, you know, being able to operate through this, keep the WA economy as strong as it possibly can, is a credit to every person that works in the resources sector and I'm just super proud of what everyone's been able to achieve, both with us and the sector. You sound pretty passionate about that. Mm. Um, you sound like you, 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 what you wouldn't go through, you wouldn't let your employees go through. Yeah. And, wow, that, that's pretty interesting to hear that story from you. Well, not so much a story, it's, it's all yeah. been fact, but it's pretty interesting to hear it from you at the very top yeah. that, that this is a real concern for you. Yeah, and I think um, Karasadam on that particular swing, there's probably 240 people on site, I'd be surprised if I didn't individually speak to maybe 180 of those people over that over that period of time. So hearing some of the stories is not just around grandparents that might be about sick children or completely unrelated illness or other circumstances. Um, one young chap, I won't mention his name, decided to um, sell his house and get a, a van. He was going to travel around on his break and um, you know see parts of Western Australia. Obviously COVID occurred. And he couldn't travel. So the next thing you know, he's on his break, living in his van, sleeping in car parks or on his mum and dad's lawn. So all of a sudden, you know, his world's changed. So just things that you wouldn't think about were occurring. And mm. um, being as close to the action as you can, understanding that and hearing people's concerns, looking at different ways, like we moved some of the gym equipment out onto the tennis court so we could get around some of those things. Um it was really powerful, but it's obviously, you know, being on the ground, it's obviously very useful for the guys to see that you're going through it as well and understanding exactly what their journey is. So, um, yeah, it's certainly one thing I wouldn't change. You're a leader who's pretty passionate about your company just from what you pointed out there and the way it's presented in particular. Just have a look at it, your LinkedIn profile. Mate. There's some pretty good photos on there of you. <laughs> uh, but what is it that when you step onto a Saracen site, it puffs your chest out a little bit? Um, I don't know if it does. Um and I suppose this is the essence about going from a really small company to maybe $5 billion or whatever at the moment. I think it's what we've been really strong about through our journey is keeping our DNA and making sure that it doesn't matter if you're ASX you know, 300 or ASX 50, um, we want to try and retain that DNA. And companies or organisations change, but not just change for the sake of change. So we just want to try and make sure that we keep the nucleus and remind ourselves every day about how we got to where we are. So... For us, it's about going to site, and that's why we go to site during times of need. And we actually go to site 
make sure we talk to every single person. It's not just cocoon ourselves into, you know, I remember board meetings would go and sit into a boardroom on site for a whole day and then leave and not interact. So now we go to site and have the board engaged with the workforce. Um, when, when we're all doing our rosters, I do night shifts with the workforce and being going, going down the hole or going into the middle of night shift a, it's a big surprise to people that you're trying to spy on them, but it's just a really good way to, to engage with people. So we try and retain that. Um, probably the only downside of that is we probably don't celebrate the wins. Um, mm-hmm. Even in the case of GM acquisition, we haven't had an acquisition party yet, and I've been very strong that we took on a lot of debt. Um, I'm happy to celebrate it when we paid that money back. Um, so for me, it's around milestones. So maybe we don't celebrate the wins enough, but at the same time, as it keeps us really grounded and make sure that we... Our founding chairman, Gweta Steltara, is always strong on, you know, stay on your bike and don't ever forget how you get got to somewhere. So for us, it's um, pretty well ingrained in our organisation. So we don't want to get too, uh, too far ahead of our skis because we know what happens if you if you do that. Talk us through a Ralph Finlayson weekday. What happens Monday to Friday? Is it pretty similar? You get up, do some exercise, get to work or? Yeah, well, the last three, uh, three months have been a bit different, obviously. But, um, you know, people are going to know I'm lying here when I say I ride in, but I do occasionally ride in so I reckon that's probably half the week if I'm, uh, if I'm honest to myself um, so I usually ride into work um, you know like I said try and get to site as much as we can but um, and then of course um, a normal work week would probably be in the office or traveling or um, overseas or interstate and then uh, a weekend user revolves around a lot of hockey kids are into their hockey or um, sport in general tennis dancing whatever it might be so a lot around that which love doing and for me, having growing up in Australia, it's everything outdoors. So, you know, got the five-metre boat, got the jet ski, got the, um, again, I'm going to lie a little bit, so I kayak a lot, but I do get out occasionally on, onto the uh, onto the ski and paddle around. Um, we love going out caravanning, so it's just anything outdoors and the family loves it. Speaking of something outdoors, yeah, you're a pretty good resis footballer in your time. How's your footy career going? I was a very good league football, I think, Glenny, if you go there. <laughs> no, I think you're right. Um, no, my football, I uh, I haven't played footy since I left Kalgoorlie, unfortunately, but I um, I did sign up for the Vets and I played half a game with the Vets and I'm still on the um, still on the email distribution of the Vets and um, I'm not sure if the guys notice I'm still on there, but I get uh, lots of joy about getting an update on what all the uh, what the lads are up to and some of the shenanigans that goes on there. That wraps up part one of our chat with Riley Finlayson. In part two, we concentrate more on KCGM, the Super Pit and Mount Charlotte operations. Here's just a little taste. This is a Crib Room podcast. Probably been since the wall failure. Probably the the overarching uh, philosophy has been trying to reduce cost with the revenue coming down with the wall failure, which has meant that it's been under utilisation of people, you know, worried about jobs, those, those sorts of things. So we're going the exact opposite and we've been very clear from day one that we want to get movements back to where they were in the heyday. And that's we've already seen signs of that happening at the moment. So what you do is you energise people. So we're trying to energise people to have conviction around the asset, really have purpose about being there and, you know, any of the institutional-type elements that you get with organisations that go for a long period of time. We want to reboot that and get people who are really energised about the future and what it could be to have a red-hot crack, have, a, have that can-do attitude, and we're seeing signs of that at the moment. And... Keen for those people to come along with the journey. If they if they don't, that's fine. But at the same time, that those who do, we want to give them every opportunity to grow. The Crib Room series of podcasts are produced by Industry Link Media. Subscribe to podcasts via your audio platform and via industrylinkmedia.com. This is a Crib Room podcast. <laughs>